Hi guys, and welcome to the GMBN podcast. This week is something really special as we're joined by none other than Mr. Ben Cathro. Now, you can listen to this on Spotify or any of your other podcast streaming services of choice, or you can watch it right here on YouTube. I really hope you enjoy it. It's an absolute banger. So, Mr. Ben Cathro, we're going to jump into it straight with some fun, fun word association. Oh, okay. So, just, I'm going to say something, and then you just... Whatever comes to your head first. I warn you, I'm quite slow, so it might take a while. <laughs> okay, cool, 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 cool. Well, we'll do our best and we'll rattle them. So, first up, racing. Mint. World Cups. Hard. Scotland. The best. <laughs> uh, ben Cathro. Tall. Old school geometry. Twitchy. New school geometry. Smooth or no stable? Can stable. I correct? Yeah, you can. I'll give correct. That. Edit that. <laughs> <laughs> um, social media. Tough. YouTube? Easier. <laughs> um, potential? Uh, lots of. Sizing? Massive. <laughs> and last one, line choice? Oh, favourite. Oh, yeah, good answer. Yeah. So, you seem to be somebody that doesn't particularly rest on your laurels. You always had a career as a racer, and then you mm. carved out, in the UK, I think a very well-known coaching company, mm. Six Skills, mm. which was... Which must have been really special, actually, having that much, you know, credibility. Mm. How, did, how did Six Skills come about? Uh, it was necessity, because I was poor, well, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Now, um, do you think, why do you think mountain bikers are so adverse to coaching? Not necessarily, mm. in, in, the, not necessarily in the individual cases, but if you look at skiing, you get some skis and you go coaching. <sighs> I kind of prescribe to the theory that brakes are too good. Okay. Do you know what I mean? In yeah. skiing, it's like you're going to go fast and you need to learn how to slow down. Yeah. Mountain bikers, oh, I've just got some four pots. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's two things. Uh, you've got the age of the sport. So in downhill, it's not that well developed, I would say, in terms of like skiing. It's been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not that long. I don't know. But uh, I think the coaching culture is just getting strong because obviously there's loads more coaching companies and more people are starting to get it because they realise you can't always do it yourself. Mm. And extreme sports lend to a bravado kind of ego and I don't need teaching. Mm -hmm. So I think in most extreme sports, people tend to just do it because they feel like, yeah, "Yeah, I can do this, easy, no Mm. problem. So it's a combo of those two things, but it's starting to go the other way, I think. Because then it would be like, because I think if you actually ever ride a descent on a heart rate monitor, you'll realise that it's not a case of fitness goes out the window and you're not pedalling. Mm-hmm. It's just it becomes like a full body lactic threshold test as opposed to just your legs. Um, what was, could, did you have much of a working relationship with Chris back in the day? Yeah, decent. I think I was quite young and naive back then and tended not to believe him on everything because mm-hmm. uh, his ideas were against the norm and I was very much kind of following the norm. Mm-hmm. So when he was like, right, take your peak off, I was like, can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Look ridiculous. He's <laughs> like, go on, we've tested it, it's faster. And I was like, no, nah, sorry, Chris, can't do that. He's mm-hmm. like, suspension, yeah. Full compression, all the rebound, hard and, hard and slow, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, come on, Chris, I can't hold on to that. Yeah. And a lot of, when we tested it, a lot of what he said was true. So we've kind of found a balance. And uh, I think he, he's proven, been proven that a lot of his ideas made sense and have worked with mm-hmm. bikes going the kind of way of geometry, like he yes. said years ago. So uh, I did have a lot of like, discussion with him, but it was usually, Ben, do this, no Chris. <laughs> so, do you think uh, if, if he yeah. came on board now, yeah. do you think that if he came and said, 
XXX, you know, do you think you could trust somebody that much to change your bike setup if it was for performance? Mm, no, I'm way more open to it. Mm. Like I, like we're talking about with training and stuff, saying it was all ego-based, I kind of mm. thought I knew everything. Mm. But now I realise I know nothing. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I'll take on anything and try anything and test anything because everyone has different specialities. Mm. And uh, I feel like you've got to listen to whoever is an expert on whatever topic. So, yeah, I'd be open to it for sure. Because if we look back through that period mm-hmm. and then you've been British downhill series champion in 2011 you were Scottish downhill series champion many times mm-hmm. Scottish champ many times West Scotland front wheel skid champion 2003 <laughs> you read the profile mate I did my research um, and you seem to be winning SDAs as well as Enduros up your way mm. like nobody's business so obviously very proficient at winning races do you think if you'd had some of the ideas about geometry now, mm. or some of, you know, Chris brought was a great example, a big proponent of big bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think your results would have been different? Mm. Do you think you would have won more, you'd have taken that form onto the World Cups a bit more? So a, a theory I have is that you can ride any bike at the maximum speed, but it's easier on a bike with the modern geometry and the size that fits. Because mm-hmm. you look at World Cup racers in the past riding bikes that are like awful by today's standards you watch the videos you're like I still don't think I could go faster than that or that is absolutely flat out Mm. so I think I would have been more consistent if I'd kind of or if we had the opportunity of going full Chris Porter style super slag massive bikes and uh, I know at one point Orange made me a bigger bike but at the time I didn't really believe in it so I maybe didn't Mm. fully I don't know, psychologically take advantage of it. Yeah. I always just thought, God, this bike's huge. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot to manage. But if I'd been like, this is the, this is what we need, I probably would have maybe done better. I would have been more positive in general. Uh, so yeah, I think Chris was well ahead of the time. And if I had fully believed it and we were, had the possibility of going fully that way, potentially could have done better. But it's all ifs and buts. Ifs and buts, yeah. And also there's also the thing that I suppose needs to be noted. It's all very well in saying if you'd taken all the good advice mm. or the correct advice about timing, then maybe you'd have won more. But so if everyone else had also done that hypothetical situation, exactly. it might have just leveled everything Yeah, it just levels out, yeah. Yeah, because how do you feel now with the bikes where we're at? Because it's all very well me saying, now I've always been very lucky in that mm. bikes have catered for me. Mm. My biggest complaint is sometimes seat tubes are too long, which I basically isn't complaining at all. If that's your level of frustration, then you're pretty lucky in terms of sizing. Are you, are you long back, short legs? Now I've got these glorious dancing legs okay. that are always getting me into trouble, which is why I get even more frustrated because the seat tube sometimes it's like a 480 seat tube on a large. Yeah. Seems mad, but anyway. Blah, 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 blah. So looking where we are now with geometry mm-hmm. and bikes, or do you feel bikes fit you now? Almost. You, we're, we're almost there. We're, we're close. <laughs> because you'll often see, there's obviously a large conversation about geometry. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is a question of misinformation or buzzwords and people just being told they need X, Y, Z, this long mm. reach? Or do you think that actually the consumer base is better educated mm-hmm. and we all need to be riding bigger bikes? What, mm. what kind of, what do you feel? I think consumer base is better educated, but the marketing maybe focuses on the wrong things. It's that you don't need a bigger bike mm. for everything. You need a bigger bike if you want a bike that's more stable and easier to go fast on. Mm-hmm. So it's sizing, I think I've come to realise in the last few years, isn't dependent on how tall you are. It's dependent on what you want the bike to ride like and what yeah. you want it to be focused on. So 
I feel now my bikes are perfect for a lot of the riding I'm doing uh, in Scotland and the types of tracks I'm riding. But if I was to go to the end of the World Cups, which I'm planning on doing, I think I would go bigger. Mm-hmm. And just because of the speed of the tracks, that your focus is on just being as stable as possible and making things as easy as possible for yourself. But if I rode a World Cup bike on the kind of stuff I ride in Scotland, I'd be like, oh, this is a little bit more awkward, mm-hmm. a little bit harder, and I'd want it to be more playful, more fun. So bike size is slightly based off your size, but also based off what you're riding and what you want it to feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're obviously riding Santa Cruz bikes at the moment Mm. um, and have been for a couple of of years now. Mm, 2012, I think. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember back in the day, you being the guy that sent a 29er over Dreamline in Greenstown. Oh, I didn't do the whole thing. I was but so scared you, of that. Did, and I everyone was like, 20, on a cross-country bike? And it was like, no, a 29er. But a cross-country bike? Yeah, cross-country. We, we couldn't get our heads around it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you think of, you know, Greg Minar, he seems to be at the very, on the forefront yep. on, the, on the discussion of big bikes, also riding Santa Cruz's. Yep. But he's a fair bit shorter mm. than you are. Yeah. But he's considered, oh my God, how he's so tall, he's so big, he needs a massive bike. Mm. Do you kind of think... He's on something, but please, you know, are you riding the same size as Greg? Yeah, same size as Greg, and he's actually a tiny bit longer. I think they did a custom dropout yep. in the rear end yes, to get a bit more yes. length in the back. So usually they come out with a bike, Greg gets on, I'm like, yes, finally got a bigger bike, then he makes it even longer. I'm like, oh, come on, Greg, why didn't you just ask for a longer one at the start <laughs> of the year? Yeah. So, um, but at the moment, the size of bike I'm on right now is perfect for the kind of riding I'm doing at home. Mm. I love it, and I wouldn't go bigger for that. But for World Cups, I'd love to just, just that get speed. Oh, a little bit more. It'd be nice. Mm. Because for the viewers or the listeners, we're talking a lot about World Cups. Mm-hmm. Because you recently made the really well, super exciting kind of Naive. announcement <laughs> to the world that you'll be back <laughs> racing World Cups. Yeah. So can you just perhaps explain what is different now than it was even last year? Or are you trying to, are you just doing it for enjoyment? Are you, or do you have kind of, you know, unfinished business, so to speak. Okay, so the thing that's different is I actually understand how marketing works and sponsorship works much better than I did back in the Take day. Take your top off. <laughs> Take your top off. <laughs> Bit of flexing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> try, try best. <laughs> so I've actually kind of figured that out due to the World Cup videos I was doing and getting a big viewership. And then I've actually got value for sponsors. So now I can make money racing World Cups, whereas in the past I just emptied my bank account and paid my own way for the mm. World Cups with help from sponsors, doing a bit of expenses and bikes. But usually I was paying most of the travel and everything. And it wasn't sustainable. I was getting to an age that I was like, I want to get a house, I want to you know, mm. move out and do all that kind of stuff, but I couldn't. Mm. So I was like, right, this is, this is a nightmare. So that's why I stopped racing back in 2011, 12. Mm. And uh, now, figured out the marketing side of things, I can actually make money from doing it. And I kind of feel like I could have done better than I did back mm. in the day, but I was working and training and I felt like I didn't really go all in. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a situation where I can, and I might do good, but I'll probably do bad, but mm-hmm. we might as well do it, make an interesting video series about it. And I think no matter what happens, it'll be interesting for the viewers. Yep. Even if I end up the year all depressed and like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Because what was your best... What's your best result to date at World Cup level? So I don't count my best one because that was the famous skin suit race. But is that, I, is that not a bit like kind of um, like kind of born again virgins? They say yeah, no, we don't count them. That wasn't special. Yeah. Well, I actually had a really bad run at that race. Yeah. 
and then still did really good because the skin suit was five seconds faster by our calculations, mm. which is a massive Math, amount, yeah. huge amount. So I was like, and when I got into the finish, you know, usually if you did a good result, you'd be like, oh, giving it a big fist bump. So I was kind of like, oh yeah, that was quite good. And then kind of headed out of the pit because I just, I felt like I was kind of cheating, that, even though it was within the rules. It yeah. just didn't feel feel right. And that sounds very, well, really like really nice and very like noble, but isn't yeah. that just the the attitude of somebody that pushes themselves? They'll never think it's good enough. Remember the chap that won uh, the scrum half of South Africa? Yeah. He, um, when he won the World Cup, they're like, mm. what do you feel? He was just like, oh, I don't really know what to say. He looked quite shell-shocked. Oh, God. And I yeah. said to my housemate, who funnily enough was also, um, who I was living with at the time, and she got an Olympic bronze medal, yep. maybe silver medal. She, you know, and mm. I said, what was that feel like? She's like, I felt the exact same. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you've got it. Yeah. And sometimes that underwhelming thing isn't what the cameras want. And people want you to be there, you know, shouting and screaming, but yeah. that isn't necessarily what you feel. Yeah. Do you not think it's just part of being a self-deprecating driven person that you're going to be like, best as ever, but I didn't let myself have it, you know? Mm. I think if I'd done it n- not wearing a skin suit mm. and stuff fair and square, I think I would have just been like, whoa, like flipping, mm. loving it. But uh, I did feel like that when I got 10th in Labresse. I was stoked with that. Mm. There was a little bit of drizzle going on, which probably affected things a little bit, but I, I feel like I earned that mm. one. So that was probably my favourite top yeah. result. Yeah. I guess I feel when, you know, you still were maybe... Um, Win Masters a couple of years ago, winning the EWS. Yeah. Right? yeah. You saw it maybe with someone like Tracy Hanna, um, especially when she won her first... No, sorry, it was her third, third, third overall win mm-hmm. um, in terms of Fort William, like 2017. Mm-hmm. And people said, oh, but... It's only because of oh, yeah, yeah, but it takes such a tremendous athlete mm. to have the composure to drive the advantage home mm-hmm. because ev- no one else did it. Mm-hmm. You know, people say to win, oh, you won in the rain. And obviously the rain did mm-hmm. respect the result. But I think if you took a lot of people and you said, so you're, you're pretty much your home race, mm-hmm. there's a deluge coming, you could be on for a win here, it would go to pot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I think actually it might not be the same um, testament to skill or something like that, yep. but actually it's a, it's a testament to mental fortitude. Yeah, it's a different kind of win. Yeah. But it's still a win. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, something I want to sport, talk to you about is when you are at the World Cups, mm-hmm. line choice. Now, you've kind of been a man on the inside. Yeah. When you're now racing World Cups mm-hmm. and you found the absolute diamond inside line <laughs> and Mr. YouTuber's on the sideline, <laughs> are you gonna be like, let me explain it to you, get the ghost out, because I want everyone to know. Because was there any other frustration where somebody would clearly have an amazing line, they probably might just do once, yeah. and you've been there filming it yeah. and gone, this is so much faster yeah. than... Did that ever happen? Didn't happen. I was wanting to find that <laughs> through the whole season. I was like, we've got to be. And I always think of it as the Sam Hill line because he was famous for it back yes, in the day. He'd yeah. keep them secret and then just bust it out once or maybe even not at all, save it for the race. Mm. But I didn't, I didn't find one. And there, there probably was. Mm. Uh, but I just wasn't in the right place at the right time. There was definitely a few that I found that were clearly faster. Mm. Uh, but then you'd get some absolute hero come through, do a totally different, the bad line, but just do it so fast that it ended up being quicker, mm. which I found was really interesting because it turns out quite often there's not a fastest line. Mm. It just depends on the rider, which 
I thought was actually really interesting. Yes. Mm. How do you feel about the phrase mainline with confidence? I love that. Mm. Mm. It is, there's a lot to be put into, into that because like uh, you could do a run, mainline it, confident, and then do all the kind of faster lines so you timed it, do all the faster lines, but maybe they're a bit trickier to do and you don't hit them quite as confident and get down and you end up being slower. Mm. So yeah, there's definitely something to be said about mainline with confidence, but on some tracks, the main lines get absolutely ruined. Mm. So like conditions can ruin it. So being on fancy lines, like getting off the main line, can then be good in those situations. Mm. So it's, it's just so many variables. That's why it's so interesting. Why That's why interesting. I love it. So cool. So with secretive line choice, and I know this is something that's been discussed before, mm. about when mountain biking is going to get to the stage where we get not just the team manager, not just one line spotter, mm. but several radioed, tuned in people mm -hmm. on the course, talking about how it's developing. Mm. Because, you know, we, you know, they're coming to that stage in course country racing where they're almost getting the pit boards out. Mm. Like in Formula One, like two seconds back, yada, yada. Do you think that would change racing for the better? Hmm. I think mountain biking in general is so variable and things are changing all the time that almost a lot of feedback's too much mm. information. Yeah. Um, obviously, if there's like a real clear thing, like the berm you're hitting on the middle split has gone, it's exploded. Mm. That is pretty valuable. But little changes and things, like maybe you've seen someone do a line and it's looking pretty quick, it's almost like noise. You don't really need to deal with, like you were saying, hitting the main line flat out mm. can often be enough. Yes. So uh, I, I think it depends on the person. Some people love getting everything. They want every bit of information and that's meant, and some people want nothing. Yeah. So it, maybe it'll go that way, Yeah. but it'll depend on the team and the, the riders. Can you see yourself ever, maybe in 10 years time, either being not necessarily either working for a team or even running your own team, mm. doing that sort of thing. Have you ever thought about that? In the, mm. so you, you did have a couple of six-skill-sponsored six riders in mm -hmm. Scotland, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, you ever thought, like, wow, that'd be a cool project, just really getting everything done? Or do you think people largely do that anyway? I think it's becoming more commonplace. Mm. Like, what was really interesting, which I didn't know happened, is that most teams and riders have uh, photographers or, and filmers that work for them. And most of them are decent writers. Mm. So actually, the photographers and filmers will actually do a bit of chat with the writers. Yes. And like, it was always Sven that you'd notice doing it because he's so loud. Like, you'd always hear him be like, yeah, you need to do that. Like, do that <laughs> loud. Much better. And like, oh, okay, right. So they're actually getting feedback already from mm. photographers. And uh, they do have, uh, like, Bruni's the famous one. They've got his trainer and another line spotting guy on track with timing beams and radioing back feedback uh, for them. And I'm sure a few other teams and other managers go up and just walk down the track, scope it out, see if they can spot anything that they may have missed. And they've all got like team snap, uh, not Snapchats, like WhatsApp groups. Snapchats and they're like, just ah. with a filter, just like, oh my God, there's some kind of dog halfway down the course and he's saying the inline's fast. <laughs> so something I want to speak to you about, and I'm glad you just said a very important name there, Loic Bruni. Now, as no yourself, you, you've been there, you've raced at that level, mm. you've trained at that level, and you've also have a very interesting insight into technique. Mm. Why are the French just so dominant mm. at the moment? 
Um, do you think it's just a combination of good it, riders on good bikes? It, no, it, it, things go in like waves and cycles. Oh, good pun there, well done. Lovely. Because no, <laughs> like, there was a while where Britain was dominant, there was a while like, Australia was dominant. And I think it's just naturally you'll get random areas where good riders will spring up. Mm. And then also you get a little feedback loop that when there's good riders in an area and in a race series, it brings on other riders around them. So the French are dominant right now, mm. and then at some point that will fade away and then say America will come rising up. And I think it's just a natural mm. flow and state of things. Um, and in terms of the good bike thing, I think all the bikes are pretty good. I, mm. I think there was like a, uh, not manufactured, but a few good riders happened to be on Common Cell three years ago mm. and it all started doing really good. And then everyone who was on a Common Cell was like, I am on the best bike, look how good they're doing. Mm. And then they got oh, confident maybe. in it. I never thought about that way, yeah. And then I think, it's my opinion, I don't know no, if it's fact. I, I know, it, it was, it's an interesting thing, yeah. But I, I feel like it was like a feedback loop on itself that mm. everyone on a common cell started thinking, oh yes, I'm on the best bike and started doing really good. Mm. Might not be that case, might be the best bike, I don't know, haven't tried one, yeah. um, but they obviously work. They do, they do seem to work very well, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I think happened. Mm. But it's really interesting the way it, way it I works. I think the common style is a really interesting bike. And I think a lot of people maybe, we've, we've talked a lot about tech already, so I'm not going to you know start waxing lyrical about what I think about bike design. <laughs> but I think the common style is really interesting because it seems to be a downhill is downhill bike. Yeah. They've, they've said, they've got the Furious, which is like the, the non-downhill is downhill yeah. bike. Do you know what I mean? The park bike. Mm. And I think it's cool because it seems so uncompromisingly about racing. Mm. And I think that's cool. Yeah. I don't know why. I think that's just bloody cool. I probably couldn't get around turns, to be honest with you, mate. I'd just be getting high-sided everywhere. High-siding to understeer, nothing in between. But um, now, if you were a team manager, yep. and you can make one marquee signing going into next season, in well, one in the men's, one in the women's, who, who two riders do you think, bloody hell, they're really something special? Well, I'm sure there's a whole host of them, but who would you pick? Pierre on, because obviously he's flat out, stylish. Mm-hmm can just decimate the field when he's on it. And he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Which matters. It oh, matter. What a character. Yeah. Um, and then in the women's, that's a tricky one. They're all quite close. Oh, no, I know. I, I'd go, uh, uh, I've forgotten her name. That's really bad. I'm really bad with names. Marine Cameroon? So, no, uh, young one just stepping up on YT. Oh, Valley Hall. Yep, go her. I feel like she, watching her riding, she's so composed, so like naturally gifted is like a bit of a weird phrase. There's an argument that you're never really naturally gifted. She's, but she looks really comfortable mm. and I feel like she's got a long way to go as well. Yep. Getting a bit bigger, getting a bit stronger. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see how she goes this, this yeah. season, well, yeah, next season. For those that don't know, Valley Hall has been a, you know, unbelievably successful junior. Mm-hmm. She's pretty much won almost everything. every race. Nearly yeah. everything, yeah. And she, this is her first year in elites. Yep. Now, there are a couple of interesting things to note about Valley Hall going into elites. First of all, she's posted some very competitive times before, mm-hmm. but the track is often in a different condition. Mm-hmm. And so I think you've got to take them with just a pinch of salt mm-hmm. and say it's not the same as actually winning an elite race. But it's pretty close. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. <laughs> so this is her first year in elite. Mm. And I feel that the elite women's is in a really... Um, Find itself an interesting position. It feels mm. like, you know, so Marine is coming through, and mm-hmm. she's a, I think she's gonna, she has a talent. You know, she's she's super cool. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what Valley Hall makes of all things. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's probably one of the hardest steps in a professional career is doing that junior to elite because you go into it and you're like, oh God, I'm in elite, right? Got to go fast now. <laughs> and it's, I know a lot of people that have done that. Like uh, Henry Carr, you mentioned the six skills team I was running. He was a junior or youth that was on my team. Went on to the Dirt Mag team and then went racing World Cups. Did really good in junior with like a lot of podiums and then got to elite and then he just exploded, like mm -hmm. crashed loads, just trying to go too fast. Yeah. And yeah, that it, big one about us all. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a really hard thing to do. Finales was another one, mm -hmm. just crashing loads because he wanted to smash his first year in elite. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's a tricky thing to do. So it's going to be one of our hardest, I think it'll be our hardest year. Yeah. She could do well, she might not, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. It's interesting hearing Neil Donahue speak about that. Mm. And you know, he just says that there are so many riders that think, oh, I qualified top 20, yeah. but I didn't take that one sketchy line. Yeah. So this time I'm going to do that sketchy line and suddenly it's going to be a top five. <laughs> You know, and it's, it's people, and they say, but then if I just do this, then it's a win. And yeah. I basically won it. I've won the race. <laughs> you know? And, it, you know, and it's an interesting, because I think it's a slippery slope. Mm. Do you think, because you're going back into this as a, as the voice, whether you, whether you shrug your shoulders or not, <laughs> as the kind of credible voice about okay. line choice and technique mm -hmm. in terms of the internet and, and YouTube. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously... We do loads of cool stuff about coaching and, and input, but we're not mm. on the side of the races. Dare I say, I think if Neil was there, he'd also be really, yeah, he'd, he'd also have sure. fascinating insight. But currently, Cathovision has gone absolutely huge. Mm. And it seems to be largely off your own bat, which I think is super cool. Mm. Do you think you're kind of risking some of that credibility mm -hmm. by going back in? Yeah, absolutely. And do you think people have any idea how hard World Cup racing is? Because well, they're going to go, what, he hasn't, he hasn't won! Ben Cather hasn't won. He only, he, you know, and say if you get a really solid result. I don't think people, people say, oh, you know, you might see a local rider around. You say, yeah, they qualify for World Cups. Yeah. They go, they only qualify for World Cups. Yeah. Do you realise how hard that is? Do you think people have any perception? Well, so many people have said, like, after I said I was going to do it, they're like, whoa, watch out, Brittany Cather was coming. Yeah. I was like, guys, honestly, it's going to be a miracle if I qualify in the Ooh. first few. It is so hard. And what we're really wanting to do is show that in the kind of video series we're going okay. to do next year. It's like, there's, there's other people that have done video series that are similar. And I think with uh, Privateer series that did at the EWS, it just showed that flipping heck, even when you do everything, it's flipping hard. And the same for downhill. Potentially even harder for downhill because it's a bit more established than the EWS. Mm. And yeah, it's going to be proper hard. The Privateer series was really interesting. Yeah. And we're going to touch upon it. For those that don't know, Privateer series was a series on Pinkbike. Mm -hmm. Basically um, recording the life and times of Adam Price, who's actually a mutual friend of us. Yeah. Um, and Adam's a great guy. And if you ride Adam a bike, there was a time, I don't know how many sets of chain stays he did one summer of riding. He <laughs> destroys bikes. Yeah. You know, you, wouldn't, you literally wouldn't even... You know, there's like... Mm. There's the old joke about like, you know, certain people being like yeah. irresistible to women or irresistible to men. Oh, don't let them out. Adam was like that. Don't give me a bike because he will break it. <laughs> he would just, he, was, he would corner so hard. Yeah. And he went and did this thing called the Privateer, Privateer Series where he embarked on a journey to get a top 30 in mm, the US. That was the goal. And I think, and I'll, you know, next time I see Adam, I'd like, you know, I don't think he mind me saying this. Mm. It was a lofty goal. Mm. And I think that when Adam was really last taking his racing serious, the EWS was at a place 
or a privateer could, could get a top 30. Yeah. Then he went away and he moved to Canada and all these interesting things started happening for him. Then he came back and I think the Adam is still a formidable talent, mm -hmm. but the talent in the EWS has changed. Goal setting, mm -hmm. how important is that and how hard is that to get right? Because it sounds like, you know, you touched upon it, it earlier, what? Yeah. You can not sometimes give yourself enough credit because mm -hmm. you might not set your goals correctly. So goal setting, I think, is super important. It gives you drive and focus and something to achieve because the year that I had some of my best results, I said at the start of the season when I was training that I wanted to get a podium at the World Cups. Mm -hmm. And you were mentioning before about, oh, if I'd only done this and I've only done that, I would have, would have done it. Mm. I've got those in my head. Like mm. I had a, a washed out and hit a tree and then I was two seconds off the podium and then uh, my chain jammed and I was about three seconds off the podium and it's like, oh, I could have flipping done it. And I feel like I only got to that point because I'd set the goals that I mm. wanted it and that helped push, push me and drive me on. But I'm trying to be realistic for next year. Mm. So I'm going to do moving kind of goalposts. So I've got an initial goal that, first of all, I just want to get the points that I can actually enter a World Cup. Because yes. for those that don't know, you need 40 UCI points. I have four. Well, so 10 times the amount. <laughs> <laughs> so just getting the points to even enter is going to be a challenge. So that's yeah. the first goal. And then I want to qualify. And then um, goal would, I'd say, after qualifying, top 20 is my like pinnacle goal. Yeah. That's the where I'd love to get to by the end of the season. But it's pretty flipping unrealistic. Yeah. And who knows if I can do it or not. It's a dream though. Yeah, I'm gonna work for it. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. I not to come across full fanboy, I am so stoked. <laughs> I really went when I saw the announcement. In fact, I saw the announcement, I messaged you straight away. Yeah. Really, you know this yeah. at that point I was like, bloody hell Steve <laughs> fingers burning on WhatsApp, you know? Um, <laughs> And I, I would be so stoked to do it. Mm. So with racing and obviously being so hard and being so close, mm. do you think close racing is good racing, a la Leergang? Mm -hmm. Or do you think you want to see like, you know, a Sam Hill-esque figure put eight seconds into everyone and people scratching their heads at the bottom? Mm. I prefer the head scratchers. Mm, me too. Um, I love watching close racing, like watching it live, super exciting. Like real cool, like, oh, like seeing coming in just a little bit quicker, a little mm. bit quicker. It's like, there's no way he's going to beat that time. That was yeah. insane. And then, oh, he has. Like, yeah, <laughs> super exciting. But I, like going back to saying that I love the technical aspects of downhill. And I feel like the results where you get those insane way out in front, that is just technical, like personified, mm -hmm. where everyone's it's just, everything is perfect. Hitting all the lines just a little bit quicker than everyone else. And it just adds up to like a huge gap at the mm. bottom. There's nothing better than that for me. But do you think close racing somehow enhances the credibility of the sport? Because then people see it more like Formula One and they have this yeah. perception, the closer the gaps are, then the closer you must be to the theoretical fastest time, which yeah. is kind of yeah, true, true, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. But so it's, I think it's kind of difficult. I think, you know, you see races like, sorry to put them in it again, but somewhere like Leergang, mm -hmm. where there were rumors, I remember, I think it was 2017 of them. The rumor was they wanted a really close race there for one reason yeah. or another and they're removing parts of the track, rocks mm -hmm. and routes, to tighten up the racing. Mm -hmm. Because there's a perception to people that perhaps aren't mountain bikers, mm -hmm. which is an audience that mountain biking is, wants to get yeah, into. Yeah, exactly. When, especially when you look at like, you know, the Mercedes-Benz sponsoring it and stuff, that's not mm -hmm. just mountain bikers. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that close rate mountain biking needs to be close to get into that, get into that bigger audience? Yeah, you, you could argue that yes, 
Um, it would, but I don't want it to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> like as a mountain biker, that's not traditionally kind mm. of why we would get into it. We don't maybe look, like to ride that kind of track mm. as much. It's, it's riskier, it's faster. There's not as much maybe skill. Well, no, there is skill involved, mm. but a different type of skill. Different type of skill. Um, but then you will get people that they do prefer that kind of stuff and enjoy that and would say, yeah, we absolutely want that. But me personally, I'm more of the kind of, I prefer the natural, harder, technical tracks. Yeah. Even though I might not actually be better at them because yeah. I'm quite big and heavy. I'm, yeah. I tend to be quite good at the fast ones. Yeah. It's like, oh, I kind of don't want to be like that. But yeah, I, mean, but. I, I completely agree. And I've, I actually adopt that sort of process to several people's annoyance in the rest of my life. Because uh, anybody want a coffee? And someone says, I'll have a hot chocolate. Like, yeah. no you won't do you like coffee you don't well no worries but you're not going to say I'm going to get a round of hot chocolates in can I get you anything that's not going to happen same people that like oh you know it's like getting a nice bourbon and smothering it in coke Oh, you know what I mean sacrilege. it's like if you don't like it it's fine no worries but that's just maybe me um, so setting up for this new season mm -hmm. how, what, what have you done to set up have you got what kind of, what kind of setup are you running mm. So, the back of a Fiat Panda or something? Well, uh, that was initially the, the start of the plan. It was going to be pretty basic like that. But as I kind of got into the planning, I was like, no, I need to do it properly. Mm -hmm. So pretty much I couldn't be filming and editing all the videos anymore yeah. because it's not, not enough time. Yeah. Like I spent pretty much from, you know, get six hours of sleep and then from the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed was just filming and editing. Kind of hard to fit racing in about that. So the first thing I knew I had to do was I needed to get at least one filmer and editor, mm -hmm. which I've done with uh, Max Rendell at Sleeper Co. And then as we were kind of planning things out, uh, he's going to film like a documentary of me trying to race World Cups again. Yeah. Uh, we're like, Max was like, you know what, if I'm filming this documentary, I'm not going to have enough time to do line choice and technical stuff. Mm -hmm. He could maybe do it, but he wants to do the documentary really well. Mm -hmm. So we're like, right. I think we've got to get another filmer then. Wow. So we're going to get two filmers. We haven't found a second one yet, but we're working on it. And uh, then also, you see any privateers racing at World Cups, a lot of them say the hardest thing is keeping your bike running, maintaining it. You do a practice run, you wreck a wheel. If you've got to then sit there and fix that wheel, because you know you've got more practice layer, you know it needs to be good for quality, mm -hmm. you miss all the practice. It's like, you, you can't do you it. You can't do it, no. Well, you can, but it's flipping hard. So I uh, need to get a mechanic. And it just so happened that Max Rendell, who's doing the filming, he's really good mates with a guy who runs a bike shop. And he just so happened to mention when I contacted him that he was looking at becoming a World Cup mechanic. So like, man, all right, he'll do. Perfect. <laughs> Sign him up. Yeah. So yeah, got that started. And then we're trying to figure out how we do all the traveling and everything. Are we going to fly? It's like, oh, it's hard to get loads of stuff over. It's bad for the environment. And it's like, right. They're all in Europe. Probably driving is going to be the best option. Yep. And my old 200,000 mile on the odometer rusty transit is maybe not going to cut it. 200,000 miles, barely bedded in. <laughs> you haven't seen how I've been driving it. And we're like, it's maybe not going to cut it. And then it just so happened around about the same time. A uh, guy, Paul, who runs Net Performance, who like our agency that uh, sorts out van yep. sponsorship for athletes, contacted me saying, do you want a van? I'm like, Perfect. Yes, uh, I really do want a van. Yeah. So we're doing a custom mountain bike camper specifically designed for me Dream. and the racing, and we'll go out and do that. And uh, we've just been down working on the design with that, with uh, P-dubs who are doing the conversion, and it's going to be, be cool. so good. That is proper dream, dream stuff. Dream. Right? I mean, um, we were kind of talking about how to do it, 
and uh, it's going to be my main vehicle. So there's the option of doing like a massive big van, which a lot of teams do, or a smaller one, and then I take a trailer, and then I can still use it as my daily vehicle, be all nice and okay. convenient. So we're going to go small vehicle with a trailer for the pit setup, yeah. and then also when we're at the races, the pits are set up on the trailer, and we've got a van for getting about and everything. It's just, I think it's going to be the way of doing it. And yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be sick. We awesome. just need to get it all made before the season starts. That's the challenge now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because van aside, what are you looking forward to most about racing World Cups again? Hmm. So I guess two things. One, if everything goes to plan, is actually getting some good results because pretty much anyone that competes it although they may not admit it, it's an ego thing. It's mm. an ego boost. So I'll feel pretty flipping good about myself if I, I go and do well. Yeah. Um, so that would be one of the things I'm really excited about doing. Definitely going to be hard, but second of all, I'm really excited about how the whole documentary of it's going to come out because I think that's going to be amazing. Mm. And I actually know that's going to be good even if I suck. So I'm, I'm really excited about how that comes you out. You need to go Hollywood style and suck in the middle and then pull it out the bag. Oh, yeah, even <laughs> if we have to switch the races around. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a peak mid-season. Like, oh. Yeah, and you can just be like, oh, I didn't qualify on purpose. Oh, <laughs> Smash the wheel deliberately. Oh, pulled over <laughs> at the side of the track. <laughs> and I can remember them doing that so they get the late qualities at like Champre and stuff. Yes. Seeing the clip of Minar sat under an umbrella with this mechanic with a stopwatch going, okay, 15 seconds, right, off you go again. No way. Yeah, I don't think I'm uh, fast enough to be doing that. One but. thing at a time. <laughs> yeah. It's not one before we can walk out. Because yeah. <laughs> if somebody is compelled to follow you on their journey, which I hope they will be, what's the best way? Are you in, you in, your grammar? So, uh, yeah, Instagram, fully on that, fully on board. Bad for your mental health, but very good for sharing <laughs> <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so convenient. <laughs> um, yeah, so that'd be at Ben underscore Cathro. Pretty easy to find. Yeah. Um, and then we don't know where um, the shows are going to be broadcast yet. We're still working out deals and sponsorship and everything. I, it was originally going to be on my own YouTube channel, mm-hmm. but we, it might not be. Okay. So we're still working things out, but it'll be, it'll be all over the internet. But I guess if I imagine. they followed you on YouTube, yeah. I'm sure there'll be an announcement to say, they, they'll see. it'll be over there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, just Ben Catherine on YouTube as well. Those are my two main How main long platforms. has the YouTube channel been going now? A long time, mm. but not properly, if, yeah. if you know what I mean. Like I used to just put up really, really bad like GoPro shot videos from, from way back in the day. Yeah. But I kind of got into the actual cutting together edits when I was trying to promote the Scottish Downhill series. Mm-hmm. So I just got my GoPro and I just filmed stuff and make a really shaky, pretty awful edit. And uh, start getting more views and I was like, oh, this is quite good. And then I saw my girlfriend watching hundreds of hours of vlogs mm. of people just doing their everyday life, mm. cleaning the dish sheds, now I'm going to go shopping and say, <laughs> this looks absolutely awful. <laughs> I was like, why are you watching this? And I don't like, know, it's really interesting. And they're making loads of money from it. It's like, I need to get on this. So now I make really awful, really boring videos. And make loads and <laughs> so loads much. of money. Oh, it's all coming unraveled now. Because <laughs> how, how was that stepping up to being like, I mean, I've, I've had a similar journey joining mm. GMBN. Absolutely. About being like, this is the kind of person I think that I am. How mm. do I convey that? How do, mm. I, how do I... Because it's people who say, oh, just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's largely true. But mm. some of it, you have to become, I think, almost a slight caricature of yourself mm-hmm. just to express the, the subtleties that perhaps would go amiss. Mm-hmm. Is that something, a, a kind of journey you've been on over the years? Yeah, definitely. Um, I try and stay as true to my character as possible because I hate watching videos of people I know 
and seeing them just being totally different, mm. it's like, oh, it, yeah. it grates on me. But then people who don't know them love it. Mm. So it's like, right, well, that's your major audience. So you do have to mm. kind of ham it up a little bit. Uh, but I feel like I am pretty true yeah. to myself. Or I, I try to be anyway. Because I don't want anyone to get a false impression of me. And then they meet me and they're like, God, he's boring. God, he's done. If, oh, if he wasn't for his auto cue, he's got nothing. <laughs> no, totally. Like I, I feel that's something similar as well. I mean, what's been super cool about coming on to the whole GMB yeah. thing is that, like, I've just been able to hang out with people like Neil and mm. you know Steve Jones, these people that I've just always looked up to for so mm. long, and it's been really cool. I haven't had to do the like I've just been able to like hop on the back of their hard work, basically. Mm. You, on the other hand, have done it all homegrown, really, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of a slow build-up. So what? I'd say it's three years of doing it properly. Quite a lot of pride uh, in that, though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think anything that you kind of work hard at and it does well, you've got to be proud mm. of it. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of blown away at how it went. And it was all like an accident as well, because like the vlog-type things does all right it's not bad but I kind of feel like the World Cup videos I did I'm mm. proud of because mm. uh, I was hard work mm. and I didn't know if it was going to do well or not I, like I thought maybe if I get like a thousand views oh, man, that'd be really good but I didn't think there would be that much of a market for it there's one video you did that went huge I want to ask you about it what which one you were sorry so many of your videos have done have gone huge but there's one in particular <laughs> not the bike build video <laughs> Hate that. <laughs> Supported by Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. And you got the one in a million shot of Greg Minar hitting his frame into a post. It. Now, let's be honest, that frame was never designed to be hit by a wooden post. <laughs> God knows how fast. Yeah. Was there, how did you feel about that? When it happened, was like, this is going on? I, you, did you feel compromised? Yeah, well, I was, I was like kind of gobsmacked, obviously. It's like everyone was like, how the heck did that just mm. happen? Didn't really know what had happened. It was only until we slowed it down and went frame by frame. I was like, okay, yeah, wow, that was insane. But then I immediately was just like, mm. can I can I use this? Can I show this? Because obviously I was supported by Santa yeah. Cruz at the time. And I was like, I'm sure they'll be fine with it. So I just went down and asked. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Mm. Um, pretty much you've just proved that the bike went through some pretty excessive forces and it didn't just snap when you hit a braking bump. Mm. So it's like... Yeah, we're happy with Actually, that. Actually, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then they said, right, only condition is we bit cheeky. They're like, could we use the clip? I was like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so mm-hmm. gave them the clip and then just posted it. But the bad thing I did in that situation was uh, Rick McLaughlin at Red Bull heard that I'd got this video clip and he was like, oh, I'll tell you what, the Red Bull guys would be stoked if they could use that. Uh, so go over and have a bit of chat with them. And they're like, yeah, we'd, we'd love to use it. Would you sell it to us? And I was like... Uh, yeah, I guess I can. Um, how much are video clips worth? And then I couldn't figure it out as I didn't know. And I was like, it's only like six seconds long. Hundred pounds? Is that is that too much? Oh God, is that too much? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy was like, we'll give you 200 euros for it. And I was like, oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and then everyone I told after it was just like, you idiot. But I was 200 euros off and I was Yeah, so no, it's cool. I was just really happy with how it all turned out. Maybe uh, somebody will be, you know, Greg will be getting his own back this year, putting his offence posts out on your quality. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. But thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's pleasure. absolutely fascinating. And mm. definitely, guys, if you listen at home, 
if you're watching at home, hit Ben up on social media because he has mm. a really interesting insight and it's um, been so good to have you on. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. 